I would normally begin my message with a, with a talk with the kids, but uh, the kids, most of them are, are rehearsing for kids' choir, so they'll be sharing with us in a couple of weeks, so we won't be doing that this morning. So the question I would have had for them, I have for you. Have you ever wondered, in the midst of all his glorious creation, why did God make scorpions? Snakes. Let's bring it a little closer to home. Mosquitoes. Can you think of a good purpose for mosquitoes? Some of the flying insects, they, uh, they pollinate, right? Uh, trees and plants and flowers and so forth. Uh, I don't think mosquitoes do that. They just land on you and suck the lifeblood right out of you. Mosquitoes. Leeches. I mentioned scorpions, snakes. Why did God make this? So much of God can be known through the things that he has made. That's what Paul tells us in Romans chapter 1, right? But what do we learn about God from scorpions or from mosquitoes? Maybe the things of creation. How about, how about this one? How about, let's see, those of you in the south, Tracy, cockroaches, huh? You know, you turn on the light and they scurry, right? They disappear as fast as they can. They are filthy, ugly, miserable, and yet they endure through the ages. They're, it's been, I've been told, I don't know if it's true or not, it was a rumor floating around the Air Force that the one thing that could survive a nuclear attack were the cockroaches. That uh, when I was, in, when I was in, the, in the Air Force in Biloxi, Mississippi, we had a gap this big under under our um, dorm rooms. And it was so that in the, in the room and in the hallway, the pressure could easily be equalized. There was this movable panel in each room as well on the exterior wall. So if there's a hurricane tornado, that, that would equalize pressure through the building quickly. Otherwise, these old buildings would have fallen down. So they had this big air gap underneath each door. We were grateful that it wasn't more than an inch and a half or so, or otherwise the cockroaches could get in. They were huge. We had, a, we had a kill of the week. We would post it up on the bulletin board, you know, who got the trophy. Why did God make these things? Maybe, maybe some of what God made was not for us to know something about him, but to know something about other things that are going on in the midst of his creation. There was a time in the midst of the Gospels, in the midst of Jesus' ministry with his disciples, that he commissioned his disciples to go out to the places that he would be going and he sent them ahead of him to proclaim the gospel. And he also gave them authority. Authority to heal in his name. To cast out demonic spirits in his name. And they went. And they were amazed. And they came back rejoicing. Let me pick it up in Luke chapter 10 verse 17. The 72 returned with joy saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to your name. And he said to them, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Yes, I've already seen the beginning of Satan's fall. I saw it in your ministry as you stood against the enemy in my name. That's what Jesus is saying to them. We're unpacking those words, okay? And then he goes on. Behold, I have given you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions, and over the power of the enemy, nothing shall hurt you. Oh, wait a minute, I thought he was talking about Satan falling. And over the power of the enemy, where are the scorpions and the, well, the serpent, the snake, that's an image of the enemy himself goes all the way back to the Garden of Eden, isn't it? 
And when Jesus is saying, I gave you authority over scorpions and serpents, he's talking about those demonic powers that they cast out. Uh, he's speaking to, of them in figurative terms, in derogatory terms. They're nothing more than mere scorpions to be crushed, as he himself would crush the serpent's head. But he's speaking to them in, in, in a figurative terms as well. They, these creatures, which might be small, but can be very harmful and poisonous, can even be deadly. That mosquito that um, comes to suck our blood is also the mosquito that could be carrying malaria. Even worse, it could be carrying the Zika virus. They could infect us, inject something into us, and infect us in horrible, um, disabling, and even deadly ways. So there's something about the creation. There's something even about mosquitoes that tells us something about um, uh, those smaller or even unseen forces around us that would attack us that can do us harm, that are also part of creation in the created order. In the spiritual realm, not seen to us, but very real and very deadly. But the thrust of my message this morning is we need to be aware, and yet we need not fear. Okay, those two parts. Let's go back to our mosquitoes. One of the ways you can avoid mosquitoes then is don't go there. I know when my daughter-in-law was expecting our first grandson, she's from Texas, but she would not visit Texas. She would not go back home to, to her folks in the midst of her pregnancy because somewhere in Texas there had been some Zika virus, and she was simply going to avoid the whole mosquitoes with Zika in Texas thing. She wasn't going to go anywhere south of, well, Boston, really, and felt safer doing that. And that's one approach. I like to hike. I like to backpack. One of the best places to do that in this area is a place called Indian Heaven. Indian Heaven is beautiful. It's almost like heaven. And yet, it is infested with mosquitoes. They are so thick you can grab them by the handful. I don't know what, why you would. And, and so a lot of people don't want to go to Indian heaven. Because, why? Because they know they're going to be attacked, they're going to be mobbed, they're going to be swarmed with hundreds of mosquitoes. I am not afraid of the mosquitoes. You know why? Because I've got DEET. All right? DEET is the mosquito killer. We have been hiking along the trail, and, and I will see them come up to me and get close and... Either it was the deed or it was me, one or the other. But they got close enough and they said, no, I don't think so. And off they would go again. Turned away at the gate by the power of deed. Now that works in mosquitoes, but there's an analogy there into the spiritual realm. We're beginning a series where we're going to be talking about standing strong in spiritual warfare. We're going to be talking about that we don't have to be afraid of the enemy and his advances, his attacks against us. Spiritual warfare is a daily reality, and, and every Christian needs to be prepared. We need to know how to stand and how to live and how to walk and how to victoriously advance Christ's kingdom against an unholy triad of the world, the flesh, and the devil. There have been times when you perhaps have You've woken up in the middle of the night and you just felt 
an evil presence. You've been afraid and you don't know why. There's something around you. There's something near, somebody near that would do you harm. You don't know what it is. You're not normally afraid of the dark, but you can just feel it. Or maybe you've, I grew up in a house where I could, I would walk into a room and I could just feel a presence that I was afraid of. I don't, I don't know what, I, I, I didn't see anybody, but there were, there were other things going on. I won't go into all the details. You'll think I'm just odd and wild-eyed and spent too much time in India. I've, I've invited another witness to help me with some of this so you wouldn't think it was just me. But um, perhaps you've experienced voices in your head. You don't know if these are your own thoughts or where are they coming from. They're coming from somebody else. Maybe they're, they're, they're causing you to doubt. You doubt things about God. You, you doubt that God really cares. Does he really love you? You doubt that, that his word is really true. You doubt things about yourself, what you can do, or, or, or should you even try. You hear voices thoughts that are accusing you, that remind you of the things that you've done, the sin that you've committed, would seek to accuse you and use that to belittle you and disable you, defeat you. I imagine in a group this size, there are some of you that have woken up at some point, somewhere in the middle of the night, and you felt like somebody was sitting on your chest. It wasn't a heart attack, although it might have almost felt like one. You felt paralyzed, and you would have even wanted to cry out for help, and you couldn't even cry out. An attack can be that real. Maybe your mind racing in a panic attack. Uh, perhaps you've had some exposure, some experience. You've been around somebody who had with a psychic phenomena or a psychic consultation, tarot cards, Ouija board. And there was something fascinating about it. Why? Because there was something real about it. The thing was moving across that board, and you knew you weren't moving it, and, and the other person said that they weren't, and what happened out of that? And what, what connection do I have? How have I invited in some spiritual connection? Did I give some permission at that point along the way? Maybe, maybe you've experienced temptation that just seems to be relentless, that our Lord taught us to pray, deliver us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. There are times when the evil one will come, and he will tempt you seemingly beyond your ability to bear it. Maybe it's a depression. You don't know why. You don't even have a reason to be depressed that you know of, and yet you cannot shake it. Doubts, despairs that cause you to question God's goodness and his character. There are, there are various reasons some of these things will be in the midst of our experience. One of those reasons, and I'm going to try, try to discern or diagnose every situation that you've experienced. If you feel a crushing pain of your, in your chest, uh, don't, call past, uh, don't, don't call Dr. Bob. Call, call the emergency room doctor instead. First off, let's, let's start there. Call me and I will pray for you. And if it's a spiritual thing, that's exactly what you'll need. If it's something physical going on, and, and there, there may very well be, you're going you're gonna to get help for that as well. There's, there's, there, we, are, we are physical beings. We are psychological beings. We are also spiritual beings. We have been made in the image of God to relate spiritually with him. And our enemy will also attack us in that realm. Now, 
we come to this series partly out of just some, some reminders, kind of a wake-up call, I think, when our team went to India last fall and, and we're, we're um, just, uh, there was a much more overt and obvious spiritual opposition that we encountered. And it reminded me of the reality and the truth of that here at home as well, that we don't talk about so much because it's not in the forefront in our churches as it is in churches in India. They're experiencing these things all the time, very overt and obvious uh, challenges and, and uh, um, various manifestations. And we might not experience that. And in our, our materialistic and rationalistic and logical and scientific, uh, very material mindset and background, we easily dismiss things in a spiritual realm, even though our eternal life depends on those spiritual realities being true. Because Jesus said so. And he's the one who has already raised us up with him and set us with him in the heavenlies in, in, in Christ. You are already raised up from the dead spiritually. That has already occurred in a spiritual realm. So these things are true, but in our materialistic world, we don't think of them in that same level of reality as things that we can touch and handle and hear and taste and smell. But Jesus' coming kingdom that we've been talking about in the Gospel of Matthew, and this is another reason we arrive at this series, Standing Strong Against Spiritual Warfare. We arrive here now because as we went through the Gospel of Matthew, and as we, as we are living in the aftermath of the Gospel of Matthew, in Jesus' death for us and his resurrection, and his giving to us the great commission as was, as was stepped into last week, that we will do that. The coming kingdom of Christ advances against spiritual opposition. That there is spiritual opposition all around us, and you saw that through, through the Gospel of Matthew. It was immediate at Christ's birth. There was opposition, and, they, and infants were murdered. Maybe that same spiritual opposition is behind the murder of babies still today. In, in Matthew chapter 4, the temptations of Jesus parallel the temptations of Adam and Eve in the garden. They parallel the same temptations that you have as well, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life that 1 John warns us about. In Matthew chapter 6, I mentioned Jesus' prayer. When he taught us to pray, he taught us to pray that we would be delivered from the evil one, our constant enemy. Matthew 8 and on forward from there, Jesus continually encounters people who are demonized, and he delivers them. He heals them. 25% of the time in the Gospels, the, a, 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 a physical disability or, or malady is connected to a demonic presence, a spirit of, of blindness or a, or a spirit of lameness that over and over again, when the, when the spirit is cast out, the person is healed. Now, I'm not saying that every physical malady has a spiritual connection to it. Like I said, it's 25% of the time. It's obvious in the Gospels. But certainly some of the times, even the maladies, it would, it, would, it would stand to reason then, even things that are going on with us physically, sometimes they are also related to something that is going on, an attack that we are enduring spiritually. Something else that we need, we'll be talking about more as we go, but I should just lay out right now. We think about somebody who's experiencing some attack from the enemy, and it's like a soldier on the battlefield. The soldier didn't do something wrong in order to be attacked by the enemy. The soldier might very well be doing something right and thus be attacked by the enemy. Now, a soldier could do something stupid and could put himself in harm's way. 
leave his unit, go out on his own, and all of a sudden he's surrounded and in trouble. But those that will put themselves, those that will run toward the danger instead of from it, are the ones who will face attack. And so sometimes we feel like, well, maybe I am under attack, but I don't want to tell anybody because what are they going to think about me? Maybe it's because of my sin. Well, it might be because of some, some allowance we've given, some, some opportunity, some beachhead we've allowed the enemy to, to have against us and to attack us in. But maybe not at all. Maybe it's because you have valiantly stepped forward into the advancing of Christ's kingdom, and it will face spiritual opposition. That spiritual opposition is all around us today. We can expect to experience it. It's all around us. Do you remember a couple weeks ago, a couple weeks ago there was the grand opening of the casino up in Ridgefield, Elani, right? How many of you were there? No, 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 don't tell me. Don't tell me. We'll have confession later. But, but one of the parts of that opening ceremony was there was this uh, Native American shaman, animistic, spiritist chanting and prayer going on. And in our multicultural wisdom, realizing that there's only one God, so all the rest of that is just, it's not real. There's nothing to it at all. It's kind of cute and quaint, and we, our society likes to celebrate that, likes to celebrate all kinds of spirituality except Jesus who says, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and that is just too darn intolerant to put up with. But the rest of it, oh, that's all wonderful, because they, they would also pretend as well that there's nothing to it at all. Paul disagrees. In writing to the church at Corinth, Paul said that what pagans sacrifice, they offer to demons and not to God. The reason for Paul that it was so critical that, 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 that Christians separate themselves from any acknowledgement and participation with idols is because the idol, there are demonic spirits who crave the attention and the fear and the obedience and the following of humans. They, they dream to be themselves demigods or little gods, and they want humans to fear them, to serve them. Because after all, we saw this a lot in the, in the, in the, in, uh, among the, the, uh, uh, the societies in Africa that, that uh, are, are afraid of the spirits of their own ancestors. They believe that they are ancestral spirits. They're not. They're demons posing as their ancestors. And yet they fear them the same way that an Italian mafioso family fears the Godfather. They fear them because they can hurt them. They're spirits, and we're only human after all. And we might fear the enemy the same way. It's all around us, but we don't need to. We need to be aware of it, not just to be fascinated by it, and not to give too much attention that, oh, wow, look at this huge enemy that we stand against. Oh my gosh, that's, that's terrible. That's so fearful. No, we don't need to be afraid. Instead of, oh my gosh, how about we say, oh my God and Savior, Jesus, in whose name I stand, I, I need not fear. The Lord is my life and my salvation. Of whom will I be afraid? The Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom will I fear? I don't need to be afraid, but we need to be aware we need to be aware of the world, the flesh, and the devil. As 1 John 5.19 says, the whole world lies in the power of the wicked one. So we think about that triad, the world, the flesh, and the devil. I, I think of it in terms of a, of a, of a three-sided beachhead. 
And a beachhead, you know, where an invasion army can get a, a, a beachhead, a point of attack by which they can enter and further attack, kind of like we did in the invasion of Normandy in World War II. So I had a picture of that. You get kind of the idea. You start with a beachhead, and then from there you can further move in and further attack, okay? So think of that, think of that triad, the world, the flesh, and the devil as a, as a three-pronged beachhead seeking opportunities against us. And so our own, the weakness of our own flesh, the spirit is welling, Jesus told his disciples, but the flesh is weak. The, uh, the, the world system, a godless system that intends to function in active rebellion against God, active and passive. And then the devil himself uses our ignorance against us. We're going to address our own ignorance. And I'm not pointing at you, I'm pointing at me. We're going to address our own ignorance. We're going to remind ourselves of things we know to be true, but we're going to go through the book of Ephesians, and we're going we're to shine a focused lens on the dynamic of spiritual warfare through the book, and then when it reaches its culmination in chapter 6, those verses that we read earlier. Because the world, the flesh, and the devil are real, and we need to defend ourselves against these three-pronged attack. Now, because as I mentioned to you, I want you to know that I'm, this, this isn't just your wild-eyed pastor who spent way too much time in India. I've only been there once, going back in September. But uh, I wanted to invite a friend of mine. We came back from India, and I, and I was headed off to one of our pastor's gathering where we gather once a month, we pray for one another. And I was sharing some of the stories of the kind of things that we encountered and, and dealt with in India. A fellow pastor here in Vancouver, um, a, it was... It was uh, he was pastoring for 10 years at Main Street Community Church, downtown Vancouver. And before that, at some time in the past, you were with uh, you with Pastor, Pastor Evan over at Henson. He was in Tri-Cities. He was in Spokane. He was in Alaska. All those weird and exotic places, right? And, and I wanted Jack to share some of the things that he was sharing with me that day as we were comparing notes from India and Tri-Cities and Vancouver, and I wanted him to share some of those stories with us just to, um, in a sense, just help us to realize that, that um, this reality, this reality of spiritual opposition is all around us today. So thanks, Jack. I just want to say it's good to be part of our CV Northwest Church Association. We have a great camaraderie of churches and pastors and pastors' wives, and it's been good to have Bob part of that and to, for me to get to know him. You know, we're for each other, and uh, we believe in each other, and we pray for each other. And my wife down here is Patty, and she's the money lady at CB Northwest, and she regularly comes home with just so many great stories about what's going on in our association. And uh, part of it is just the camaraderie I have with you, Bob. And so, anyway, um, and Evan, we go way back, what, two, 300 years? Anyway... <laughs> Uh, great serving together at Henson in the past. And so my first 22 years of ministry was spent as a youth pastor. Uh, I really liked it. Did a lot of things in the country, out of the country, whatever. And one of the churches that I was blessed to be part of had really developed themselves in the area of spiritual warfare. And so I was teaching through, this is actually Ryan's book, Stomping Out the Darkness. I was teaching the high schoolers through this book, uh, a valuable resource. And there was a new girl in the group. She had just come. Her mom was part of a, a team at Hanford, comes in for just two or three months and then leaves. And so she was there for just a short time. This girl was 16 years old, and you know what? She was really pretty. She was really pretty. 
And so if she walked in the room, that's the first thing you notice. She was really pretty. She had a great spirit about her, too. And as I was teaching on this stuff, she came up to me afterwards and said, you know what? Ever since I was four years old, I've had these voices that have plagued me just telling me how ugly I am. And I, it has just been so hard on me. And so I'm just wondering, could there be something done about that? And so I called one of our pastors, and he came over right away, and we sat down with her, asked her a series of questions, like, how long has this been going on? And so she shared that with us, and did she know Christ as Savior? And she did, and so that was really helpful. And so then uh, the pastor and I proceeded to just command the spirit or spirits to tell her who are they, why are they there, and that happened. There was seven of them, and their assignment was to just demean her about her looks, and, uh, and so what we proceeded to do is say, you know what, you have believed these lies all these years, and you need to confess that as sin. So we took her through 1 John 1, 9. We confess our sins. He is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Part of the issue with what the demons try to do is to get some sin area in our life. They get to hang on to that, and they get to keep working it and working it and working it. And so with this girl, she prayed. She confessed her sin. She asked the Lord to forgive her. And, uh, and then we said, now you, in the power of the relationship you have with Christ, you command them away. And so she did, and guess what? They left. And she just said, you know what? For the first time in my life, I'm free. I'm free of that. So she was just with us a few months. That was probably one of the reasons God brought her there. A wonderful thing. We got ready to do a parenting seminar, which we did several of these because in our youth ministry, we graduated into doing more things in regards to parents. So we were flying this guy in from Philadelphia Bible College, Kevin Huggins. He's written uh, Parenting Adolescence and other things. Great resource. It's 5 o'clock on a Friday night. We have like 300 parents signed up for this thing. It's going to be a big deal. And in walks this guy in our youth group named Aaron. Aaron is one of the sweetest, gentlest guys you'd ever want to meet. Um, tender-hearted, uh, pure kind of guy. He didn't kiss his wife until at his wedding. The pastor said, Aaron, you may kiss your bride. That was his first time kissing her. And he shows up at 5 o'clock. The seminar is starting at 6.30, and Aaron is freaking out. The night before, he was with a friend. They were parked, kind of looking over um, the city, and just talking and stuff. It was dark. And all of a sudden, this demon on a bicycle starts driving around their car. And it freaks him out. So he shows up in my office. He's freaked out. And I said, Aaron, do you know what that demon wanted to do in your life? He's like, what? I said, he wanted to freak you out. And guess what? <laughs> You're freaked out. You don't need to be freaked out. The Bible says, you are from God, little children. You have overcome them because greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. Aaron, you don't need to be afraid. We have the victory in Christ. But as I'm talking with him, the next thing, this demon starts speaking through Aaron, and so I'm in this battle, all right? And it goes on for about 45 minutes, and I'm watching the clock, and I'm like, man, we're going to kick off this big seminar. I still have a few things to do. I said, Aaron, I can't talk to you anymore. I want you to get up out of my office and drive over to this guy's house. He can help you. So he did that, and, and he got the help that he needed and got delivered that night from this thing and learned an important lesson. You know what? As Bob has already said, don't be afraid. We have the victory in Christ. Um, in my neighborhood, I would get up early and uh, go running in the neighborhood, and there was a guy in our neighborhood who was one of these guys that would talk and gesture, and, you know, and it was 6 in the morning, you know, and I'm like, well, this guy seems to have issues. And so I thought to myself, I would like to 
try to enter into this whole thing, and maybe there's some inroad I can make. So what I did is he's walking on the sidewalk, and I came up in the street side of the gutter, Casey, like, was going to attack me or something, I could run. Anyway, and I just thought to myself, I'm just going to engage this guy. And so I started saying hi, and the guy never said anything to me. But as soon as I came up, he would stop what he was doing. And so I just said, uh, you know, my name's Jack. I know Christ is my Savior. And I would quote scriptures. I would say, hey, I've been praying about these things. Uh, can I go ahead and just pray now? And so I would just pray out loud, and I would quote scripture. And I'm trying all kinds of things. You know, I'm trying to fire off all my bullets. And so... He would just look straight ahead and walk, and so we'd walk for maybe 10 minutes, you know, and I would just be here in the gutter. And uh, I did this about a half a dozen times, and I noticed that when I would just get near, he would just get silent. And I thought, well, maybe I'm bringing some kind of element of peace to this guy. I didn't know. We were getting ready to move because we had designed and were building a house, and so we were going to uh, move over to there and the other side of town. And so... The last encounter I had with him, we got to the end of the street, and he had to go left or right, and he stopped, and he had this wool cap on, uh, a knit one, and he grabbed it and shredded it down over his head, his face, and he said, be quiet, you holy man. And you know what I thought? I'm finally getting somewhere. And and, uh, so whatever was going on, I could tell that there was a spiritual element there that I was agitating um, while I was at Main Street, uh, knock on the door of the church. I go down there. Here's this lady like this, almost like from the zombie movies. I was sent to you. And I'm kind of like, ooh. And so um, I said, could you wait here a minute, and then I can meet with you. So she waited outside, and uh, I right away Ran in my office, I called people that lived near the church and told them to call people, said, I need a bunch of you over here right away. So, zoom, they come zooming over. And so we spent an hour in one of the rooms at the church with about a dozen of our people and me confronting this lady, and I had these people singing and reading scripture out loud and praying and things. And it was quite the conflict. And, uh, and she was, uh, at times, would get up and march around the room, and, and, uh, but we were definitely in a spiritual war with her. Three things that were interesting about that encounter. One, and I'd never had this happen before, is on some of my questions, she would not answer, but she wanted a pencil and paper, and she would write her answers and then slide them across the table to me. And I I never understood that. I should probably get some counsel, but it was weird. She would not speak. Then this, and this is very common. She said this, oh, I'm doing better now. You know what my response was? It was just like this. No, you're not, you liar, <laughs> because that's the demon speaking. And what they like to do is like, oh, things are, are, are subsiding. No, they're not. They're just trying to lie to you. And um, so it was a very good experience for our people, I'll tell you. And then she went like this, I must go. And she got up and marched out of the room and left the church. Never saw her again. Lastly, I get a call 10 o'clock one night. It's one of our pastors. He says, hey, get over here to Bob's house right now. Bob was a guy in our church, wonderful guy. And he goes, there's a guy here with a sword who was, said he was led here to kill Bob with the sword. So I go flying over there to the house. I go in the house. Steve, who had, taken, who, who had majored in some martial arts, I think he was always up for a fight. Anyway, he's got this guy on the floor in the kitchen, you know, spread out. I dive into the pile. And we get the sword away, and, 
and get this guy sitting on the couch and talk to him. Now there's Bob and there's Steve and there's me and we have them outnumbered. And, uh, but he said, I was told to come here to kill Bob with a sword. And we're like, my goodness. So we talked to him about a whole bunch of things. We shared Christ with him. And the same thing, he goes, well, I, I think things are okay now. Same lie, you know. So he said, well, why don't we call it a night? Now it's like midnight. So he gets ready to leave. Guess what he wants? <laughs> he wants his sword back. And we said, well, you can't have your sword. And so he gets really mad while well, he goes outside, and he's pounding on the door, yelling in the neighborhood at midnight, I want my sword back. So we called the police. The police call, come, and they said, hey, look, you need to go home. And, uh, but, you know, this stuff is real out there, but Paul, I'll tell you, there's something that's more real. It's just the power of God. And, Bob, I think it's so great that you and, and Ryan and your team are doing a series on the spiritual warfare because, you know what, boy, we need to be just educated. There's so many ways that we're attacked, and I think one of our big problems is ignorance. So. microphone back on. Christ's kingdom advances against spiritual opposition. We will not be unopposed. We shouldn't expect to be unopposed. This opposition is all around us. We, we could put our heads in the sand and pretend it's not there, but folks, that's going to leave an awfully big target. So instead of that, we need to be aware. We need to uh, be aware, and yet what we need to know is that God has given us, this is the message of the book of Ephesians, that God has given us victory, and we don't have to be bullied by spiritual powers and opposition. We don't have to be bullied. Let me just take a, a quick trip in your mind through the book of Ephesians to uh, see how it builds up to that point. One of the things that, the, that those that have had more experience than some of us in engaging with those, those powers that would demonize, harass, and, and, uh, and um, um, uh, attack um, those who are believers or, or who aren't believers, that um, one of the things that they said is essential for a Christian is to recognize your authority in Christ. Remember the seven sons of Siva in the book of Acts who saw, who, who, who saw the disciples casting out demons and they thought, well, we could do that. And they jumped in and they began and uh, they, were, they were beaten down by this guy who was, who, 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 who was demonized. And they thought they would cast out the spirit and the spirit cast out them. And uh, they were doing it in their own strength and their own power, by their own awareness and knowledge and, and words that they would say that, that our, our position is in Christ. And what Paul opens the book of Ephesians, a, a church that is in the center of spiritual darkness. This was an idolatry headquarters in the first century. And here is this church in the midst of that. And Paul writes to them, the first thing that he says is he's reminding them of their position in Christ and all that God has done for them in Christ. Read Ephesians chapter 1. Read it out loud. Remind yourself and remind anything that's in hearing range. Remind them of what is true for you in Jesus. Ephesians chapter 1. The one, let me just read a couple of verses there. Ephesians chapter 1, verses, verses uh, 20 and forward. Things that Paul prays that we would be aware of, things that we need to know, that things that he has, his great power which he has worked for us in Christ when he raised us, him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly places. Watch this. Far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, 
not only in this age, but also in the age to come. Those rulers and powers, dominions, authorities, those are the same terms he's going to use when he gets to Ephesians chapter 6 and starts talking about the warfare that we are in the midst of. One of the things that you will experience, perhaps you have experienced, you thought it was just you, maybe it's more than you, those accusations against you. Our enemy is named the accuser of the brethren. So he will accuse you of the things that you've done. And what can you say? Because you've done those things. You are guilty as charged. And that's what you can say. I am guilty of all those things. In fact, you left out a few. But that's okay because all of my sin, all of my guilt, all of it has been paid for in full by the blood of Jesus' cross. He loved me. He died for me. And when he rose again, it was because all of my sin has been forever put away and you have no more claim over me. There is peace between us and God because of Jesus our Savior. That's Ephesians chapter 2. And so Ephesians 3 points the way into that very applicable, very practical instructions on how we then live in this new life in Christ in chapters 4, 5, and into 6. And, and as chapter 3 introduces that, chapter 3 and verse 10 points out that God is making known himself. He's showing himself to rulers and authorities in the heavenlies. Where have you heard that term before? the ones Jesus has all authority over, and the ones that we're going to confront in chapter 6, the warfare which is against, and yet God through us is showing himself and his power and his victory, and he does it in the way that we walk in Christ, in our new identity, in the new man, putting off the old, stepping into the new, buried with Christ in his death, raised with him to walk in newness of life. That's not just a baptismal formula. That is the reality of the Christian life, and it is advancing in spiritual warfare. So those, those aspects of chapter 4, 5, very practical, one after another, in all kinds of arenas of life, they center in this, chapter 4, verse 27, where we do not give the devil an opportunity. Do you remember that beachhead picture I showed you before? Let's go back to that beachhead picture again. There's that beachhead. That's the idea. Do not give the enemy a point of entrance. And these are very practical, real-life ways in which we deny the devil an opportunity. We deny his minions an opportunity to attack against us. But let me show you something else about this beachhead. Go to the next picture. That's only part of the picture, you see? That's actually, there's the, there's the soldier in warfare. Okay, it's a little bit of a cheesy line diagram. Bear with me. We, don't, we often don't see the whole thing. But we have an identity in Christ. We stand in Christ and we need not fear something on the ground before us that we might trip over. And we don't have to give that thing that we might trip over entrance into our own lives. We can stand. That's who he's made us in Christ. That's what the book of Ephesians is about. And so from there we're going to finally get to chapter 6 and verse 10. We opened with these words. They were read to us at the close of our time of worship and song. I want to remind you of them again. Finally, be strong in the Lord and the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God. There are specific things we can and must do. We need to be aware of them. We're going to spend about four weeks going through the first sections of Ephesians. Then we're going to spend four more weeks on this particular paragraph right here, at the end of chapter 6, to put on the whole armor of God, that we may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. Even the conflicts that you have with other people are often, often spiritually incited. 
We do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against authorities, against cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenlies. But our Lord taught us to pray. Lead us not into temptation, but not merely to escape, but to deliver us. Give us victory over the evil one. And that victory is in Christ. Now we talk about this topic of spiritual warfare, engaging especially, and some of us would be inclined rather to withdraw, to stay towards the back of the battle lines. Thank you. I'll do some supporting role, but I don't want to be up front where the bullets are flying. We think about somebody who might be struggling being perhaps because they've they've moved themselves to the front line and they are under attack and we don't want to get close because we might get attacked too. Let me give you another analogy. I talked about mosquitoes and scorpions and snakes. Let me give you one more analogy. It's an unseen analogy that you could be afraid of because this can kill you and that is germs. But you're not really afraid of germs. How many of you have a cell phone? That thing is filthy. It is covered. That cell phone is probably dirtier than your, your bathroom in terms of germs. And yet you hold it. You cuddle it. You put it up close. You. I've known some folks that were germaphobes. We had, we had um, one couple, they were a missionary couple, came to Africa to join the team there in Swaziland in Transworld Radio. Swaziland is not a place for germaphobes. They, they, they didn't last there. They were not able to cope with that kind of environment. I'm not, I'm not afraid of germs. I don't want to be ignorant of them. I'm aware of them. I know what, and yet, does that mean I'm going to isolate myself and, and, and be the bob in a bubble and, and not let any germs get near me? No. I've got this. Because I know about germs, I will wash my hands. So you can shake my hand now after the service. It's okay. We're ready for that. I'll wash my hands. I will, I will stay healthy so that my body is, is fit and strong and I've had the right kind of nutrients so that my immune system can battle off those intruders and invasions as it ought to. And the same way spiritually. We need to be spiritually strong. We need to be spiritually healthy. That's what the book of Ephesians is for. So that we can stand in Christ against the enemy and actually show the glory of God's power. That's our opportunity. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you. Thank you for Jesus, our Savior. Lord, our victory, our hope, our confidence is in him. Father, we would pray that as you open this book to us, as you prepare us to stand even more ready in this battle, Lord, to take next steps and new advances, to see deliverance, to see your powerful hand at work, and to see the, even the quiet strength of your spirit working and moving through us for the sake of others. Father, we pray that you would give the glory. We, Father, Father, we also pray that we would yield ourselves to you. That as we present ourselves, even as we present these offerings now, that it would be for the advance of the gospel, that through Ray of Hope and our other missionaries, for the ministry that this church has right in this community. And Father, we pray as well that as we yield ourselves to you, that you would use us. Use us to be a spiritual encouragement. Lord, use us in your ministry of spiritual deliverance for the glory of Jesus. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.